0: You're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, division of Endocrinology and Metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System.
1: What is the hope for the latest research into the potential of statins to prevent diabetic related blindness? Joining us to discuss how statins may prevent diabetic related blindness is assistant professor and director of clinical and experimental therapeutics at the University of Georgia in Augusta, Georgia, Dr. Aza Elramisi. Dr. El-Ramisi, welcome to ReachMD.
2: Uh, hi, I'm uh, delighted to be here.
1: Aza, this is a very interesting topic because uh, all of us out there listening use statins like crazy, and I don't think any of us know on the effect on diabetic-related blindness. Well, first, let's start off. What, what are the latest statistics uh, on the percentage of people living with diabetes that have diabetic-related blindness?
2: So, um, diabetic retinopathy is, uh, really one of the most, uh, common complications of the, uh, diabetes affecting, uh, about 90% of our diabetic patients. And, uh, the unfortunate part that if people do not control their sugar, so, and I want to stress really that, that we're talking about the poor glycemic, uh, control patients, that they can't progress all the way to legal blindness. So having a diabetic patient, they will encounter one, um, one degree or sort of, uh, you know, one of one of the stages of uh, diabetes, um, the diabetic retinopathy, um, during you know during the course of the of the disease. Regardless, they were type one diabetics, which they're insulin dependent, or type two, which they you know the the, the insulin dependent yeah. uh, patients.
1: Well, you know, um, we know that. Um diabetic retinopathy is really a direct result of the duration and severity of hyperglycemia and the pathophysiology is the same for any type of diabetes now I, I i don't think you know this but um you know i have type 1 diabetes since i was 15 i have diabetic retinopathy and i've been lasered like crazy uh in both eyes uh and luckily my my vision is stable but i've never received any oral or injectable therapies uh for diabetic retinopathy maybe you can review that for our listeners uh
2: well the, that is correct, uh, and I think you're a real example that so far we do not have uh, an FDA-approved oral treatment. The treatments available right now is only for the late stages of the disease, so we do not have anything to offer our patients early on, a sort of prophylactic or early intervention. Um, so basically, you, you wait until really things got worse into affecting all the capillaries and the microvasculature in the eye, and, and that's when people are um, going to get into sort of more invasive. Uh, treatment. The current really option is the um, the photocoagulation, um, the laser vitrectomy. You know, um, the use of the uh, intraocular injection of either steroids, uh, thinking of like kind of uh, blocking the inflammation, or anti-VEGF. You know, they, there is like kind of huge, they're off-label use. Um, they they kind of uh, stop the disease progression. Um, however, and that's the reason that uh, physician. Keep going on you know with, with, with these, uh, but unfortunately the number one they cannot restore a lost vision um, and uh, number two um, they are not everybody not everybody is really eligible for it for it and and I think that really put a huge burden on the eye researcher you know and the scientific community for identifying really effective uh, therapeutic targets that we can offer. I, I just I feel I feel bad that we are leaving our diabetic patients kind of unarmed. That we know that you're gonna go through the progression of the disease like. Like, we got to do something better than that.
1: Yeah, tell us about the statin story.
2: Um, well, we got interested in the statin, um, you know, honestly, or early on, it just because the vascular protective effects of statin has been published and demonstrated in, you know, in human and experimental animals and isolated culture. Like, you know, you just, we, you know they work. But when, you, when we digged into the literature, we found that no one else looked into the protective effects of statin in early on in diabetes and on the neuronal aspect because that's kind of the, the early line uh, that, you know, that, like the diabetes early on does not affect badly the vasculature, does not trigger that vagus, you know, early on. It works on other or alter other, uh, other things, including the retinal neurons, uh, which would affect the, you know, the face contrast, the night vision, you know, it will affect the visual, you know, visual, uh, the visual process itself. But as I said, for our surprise, we did not find a single study that looked at any of the statin on the neuronal aspects.
1: Wow, that's interesting. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD, the channel. For medical professionals. I am Dr. Steven Edelman. I'm speaking with Dr. Aza El Ramisi. We are discussing the potential use of statins in the prevention of diabetic related blindness. Very interesting topic. Let's get into it a little bit more, Aza. Um, how do free radicals stop the maturation of pro NGF into NGF?
2: So since we were planning to look at the, uh, you know, at the kind of early adverse effects of diabetes on the neurons and whether statin or other drugs can be beneficial, we thought that um, we need to look into the growth factor that's normally responsible for taking care of our neurons if, if there is an insult happen like, you know, like the diabetes itself. So the nerve growth factor is what ne- normally would be released on demand um, that, you know, to, to go on and take care of our neurons once they are exposed to an insult like, like a mechanical damage, like uh, hyperglycemia, hypertension, you know, you know, you know whatever the, the, the cause is. So for, uh, you know, for our surprise, we, we thought that our neurons would die in response to diabetes because lack of NGF and, like, you know, we don't have much of it. So when we measure the NGF itself at the mRNA level, which, you know, doesn't tell you really what the protein status there, it turned out to be high. Mm -hmm. Um, And then digging more, we kind of got really interested because that looks like really now more interesting what's going on there. So we found out that the protein itself is secreted as a pro form, which is not active, that need to be chopped uh, or what we call matured into the NGF. And the NGF um, or the mature form is what really can actually bind to a receptor and and produce that survival function and maintain our uh, neurons in, in good health. Um, so interestingly, we found that under diabetic condition, there is stimulus to for our cell, you know, for, from from our system to produce more of the NGF that would be normally released as pro-NGF. But the uh, because of the diabetic milieu, you get lots of free radicals, lots of inflammatory mediators that put that put a break on the pro-NGF, so it keep it there as a pro-form or immature form. And um, that's because it inhibits an enzyme. Uh, it's that the enzyme that usually chop the pro-NGF into NGF. It's called uh, MMP7. It's one of the uh which, as I said, it just help to chop that, uh, that pro-NGF into the NGF. Um, so once the enzyme is inactivated because of the free radicals, then, as I said, you put the brake, and that leads to accumulation more of the pro-NGF at the expense of the NGF, at the, at the expense of the good guy. Got it. So the neurons really suffer because it doesn't have enough of the mature form or the, you know, the, the, the form that can really actually does the job for us. Yeah. Got
1: it. So you're limiting the amount of nerve growth factor, which is a bad thing. Definitely. Now, tell us a little bit more about the study. How was the drug administrated and how do you do an eye test with a rat?
2: To approach that, first answer the question: uh, that whether really free radicals is the reason behind that hypo you know behind that scenario that I just mentioned to you? You know, it's just our hypothesis. So we we have a system to render our diabetic um, you know so, to render our rats um, diabetic, uh, and we use a uh, type one model uh, because it's kind of easy and standard, and we know exactly how much you know they, they so they have hyperglycemia similar to somebody who's not really controlling their sugar. So that going to be mim- making the poor uh controller and um after Uh, after a week of that induction of diabetes, kind of to make sure that the animals are stable, that's when we start our treatment. Um, And as I said, we had multiple groups uh, because we wanted to answer multiple questions. So one group of diabetic uh, animals were treated with a specific drug that we know it will uh, prevent the free radical formation in in those diabetic animals. We've tested before, we published on it before, so we, we know that for sure. Um, unfortunately, that particular experimental drug would answer the question, but it, we cannot really translate it to human. I cannot offer it, um, you know, to, to take it to the next step to say, yeah, this is what diabetic patients should be taking. So the, that's the reason we were looking for a drug that we know that it can work. Uh, mainly on the free radical part and you know and and then it could be safe enough that we can propose it uh to be used for diabetic patients and that's how we picked this you know the, the the statin
1: this is the group of statins we use to lower ldl cholesterol correct
2: uh, that is correct yeah So it was given to the animals um, in a way that, as I said, you know, we were hoping really to extend that uh, to humans, and that's the reason the the thought was to use it an oral way. To you know, so it was given to the animals orally, and it was given every day, and the dose was uh, selected to match, um, you know, the I used the dose right now uh, in human, uh, which is 60 to 80 milligram, um, you know, per day. Uh, This is a known dose that it's uh, used. to prevent the recurrence of major cardiovascular events so it's safe it's tolerable you know it you know but it's not used right now it is not used for every diabetic patient so i, I just want to make you know clear point about that
1: what are the implications for you know people with diabetes humans not forget the rats for now
2: right um, we get access to some of the aqueous humor samples. These are extra um, uh, ocular fluid that uh, sometimes the the, the ophthalmologist would have to withdraw it before they do anti-VEGF injection. Mm-hmm. So we're we're talking about fluids that came from patients identified with proliferative diabetic retinopathy, and uh, when we when we looked into their um, you know to. The profile of these samples, uh, it was very consistent that they have more of the pro-NGF, they have less enzyme activity that, you know, that, that kind of chop that, um, uh, pro-NGF back to NGF, and definitely they have way less NGF than other patients who did not experience diabetes. So we were so excited because we felt that the hypothesis that we came up with is real. It's kind of working in human. Um, to add to the excitement that we had to exclude some of our samples for the analyses because they these patients were on statin and um guess what being on a statin improved greatly their enzyme activity and the, the proangi of conversion so I, I think it is working uh, but i you know that was kind of really an observation that we need to take it further you know to verify it or to to make it really a complete story there
1: wow we're going to We're going to follow your research very closely. I'd like to thank our guest, Assistant Professor and Director of Clinical and Experimental Therapeutics at the University of Georgia in Augusta, Georgia, Dr. Aza El-Ramisi. Dr. El-Ramisi, thank you so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse.
2: Thank you very much for having
0: me. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash D-I-A. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. In last week's class, we talked about how diabetes affects the whole person, and we left off with an important question. Are we looking at every part of diabetes? Uh, To help us answer this question, I've invited one of my colleagues as a guest speaker, Dr. Jackie Brennan, who has been practicing endocrinology for over 25 years.
3: Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here to discuss a key issue in diabetes, whether or not we're looking at the whole picture. As you know, sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. Weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction are also part of the problem. Specifically, I'd like to talk about GLP-1 and how it impacts multiple systems affected by diabetes. Can anyone tell me more about it?
0: Yes. Jamie, go ahead.
3: GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 are critical to glucose control. Exactly. In a glucose-dependent manner, GLP-1 stimulates the beta cells in the pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibits the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. Anyone know what else it does?
1: What about you, Sam? Yeah, doesn't it help control weight by slowing gastric emptying and inducing a feeling of satiety?
3: Yes, and GLP-1 may also play a role in improving beta cell function, a key to slowing diabetes progression. But why is this so important? It's because at diagnosis, type 2 diabetes patients have already lost 50% of beta cell function. Well, isn't impaired GLP-1 physiology also part of the problem in diabetes? Yes, that's a great point. People with type 2 diabetes may have impaired GLP-1 activity and or impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. This could contribute to problems that develop over time. That's why the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. GLP-1 regulates blood sugar in a glucose-dependent manner, may help control weight, and may improve beta cell function. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about the latest treatment available from Novo
0: Nordisk, please visit glp1analog.com.